Messiah is going to be born tonight. They didn't have any idea. They had no plans for it. In fact, it messed up some people's plans quite a bit. It messed up King Herod's plans. He liked being king of the Jews. He did not need a Messiah coming along. It messed up the shepherd's plan. I mean, they were just planning on a quiet evening, right? You know, watching the sheep. And then all of a sudden, now we got to go somewhere. What's this? What's what, Who are these angels? What is this? It messed up the uh, it, it messed up the religious leaders' plans a lot. Yeah, because they were expecting a political leader, Messiah, right? You know, I mean, they were expecting someone to come and to free them from Roman captivity. You know, and, and here comes Jesus. Jesus comes along, and, and he says things like, turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Love your enemies. And they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. Uh, no, 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 no. We wanted a Messiah. We wanted a political leader. We wanted a powerful leader. What is this love your enemies stuff that you're feeding us no it no you see that first christmas was going to really mess up the religious leaders it messed up the innkeeper's plan you know he ran out of space but most of all it messed up mary and joseph's plan i mean they were just these young teenagers you know a young couple barely teenagers just, just wanting in, to be in love and have a family and get married and, and, and raise little Marys and little Josephs. That's all. I mean, that was the plan. That was the plan. They had it all worked out. Joseph was a carpenter. All right, he had a job. Mary, going to have the kids, going to have a family. Just be a normal Jewish family. That's all. That's all they ever wanted. Oh, it messed up their plans a little bit. Yes, it did, because you see, in, in the time of their wedding preparation, they're, they're engaged, and, and, and all of a sudden, God comes along, he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to change your plan just a little bit, just a little bit, not much, just a tad, you know, and, and the angel tells, tells hey, Mary, th three things, okay, three things are going to happen, all right, all right, one, you're going to get pregnant before your wedding day. Now, now, we know that happens, right? It, I, it's, you know, I've been a pastor for, for 35 years. You know, I happen to know that that first child can come at any time. And then after that, they all take nine months. But that first one, I don't know how it works. I don't know. I've done weddings, and it's like three months later, you know, four months later, five months later. I don't know how that works. But all the rest of the children take nine months. I don't know. So Mary, three things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to get pregnant before your wedding day. Number two, it's not going to be Joseph's baby. I, I, I know that happens too sometimes. I've seen that. But th this doesn't happen. It's going to be a virgin birth. It's going to be a miracle that's never happened. And, and number three, by the way, j just, just by the way, all right, last, Mary, all right, you need to get this one. All right, last, okay, the baby's going to be God. That'll mess your plans up a little bit, won't it? The baby is going to be God. Wow. 
God came along and messed up Mary and Joseph's plans. Not by a little bit, but by quite a bit. Has God ever messed up your plans? I mean, I could give you an awful lot of examples from my own life where God messed up my plans. I had everything planned. I knew what was going on, but oh no. God had different ideas. The point is, plans don't always go the way we plan them. Dreams don't always go the way we dream them. Yeah, now, I'm not saying that everything happens, God plans it. Okay? There's a lot of things going to happen in your life. God did not plan it. Don't blame God. Don't te- no, he had nothing to do with it. Because we live in an evil, sinful world. We live in a fallen world with fallen people. And there are other people that are going to come along and they're going to mess up your plan. And it is not God. It is not God's will. It's not something that God planned. When someone gets abused, God did not plan that. Don't say he did. When someone gets raped, God did not plan that. When someone gets murdered, God did not plan that. Don't blame it on him. It's not. He is not the author of evil. That's why we have to pray, as, as Pastor Pickett just finished in that, in that, told us in that last series, that's why we have to pray, your will be done, Father, as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's will is not always done. And it's not always God's plan. Because people will mess your plans up, too. Not only that, I mess my plans up an awful lot. Right? I mean, I mess my plans up. My own stupidity messes up my own plans a lot of times. And my own laziness will mess up my own plans. And my own carelessness will mess up my own plans. And my own procrastination will mess up my plans. And that's not on anybody. That's not on God. That's not on anybody else. That's just on me. It's on you too. You know. You know. You do the same thing. We're all very well acquainted with other people messing up our plans, and with ourselves messing up our plans. But sometimes we forget that sometimes, sometimes God providentially comes along and says, I'm going to mess up your dreams. I'm going to mess up your plans because I've got something different for you. This morning, I want to focus in on one of the, the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. A man who really got his plans messed up. A man who had dreams for his future. And those dreams quickly turned into nightmares. A man who, who, who we put in our manger scenes. And we portray him in our Christmas plays. But he never says much. He doesn't do much. He's just there. He doesn't sing any songs. He doesn't get a song in the Bible. Mary got a song. Elizabeth got a song. Zechariah got a song. Everybody gets a song. The angels got a song. This guy, he gets nothing. He got nothing. He's just kind of there. All right? We don't really even know much about him. We, we, We don't really even know what happened to him. I mean, he's there. He's there. Now he's not there. And we just don't know. Of course, the man I'm talking about is Joseph. Let's look at what we do know about Joseph, and let's see this morning if we can learn something about the way he handled getting his plans and dreams all messed up. 
we read the scripture, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Before we get into how Joseph handled it, we, we really need to set the scene. You have to understand what he was going through before you can appreciate how he handled it. Isn't that true with us? Right? I, I mean, when we really don't know someone, it's easy to look at them and say, oh, they got it easy. Look, they got it made. Oh, boy, look at their success. Yeah, they had it easy. Yeah, but we don't know what they went through to get that success. Don't you wish that everyone that looked at you and where you're at now, don't you wish they understood where you'd been, where you came from, that maybe you aren't exactly where they would like you to be, but thank God you are not where you started from. But they don't know it. They don't get it. If they knew the backstory, they'd appreciate the present story even more. So Joseph and Mary, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, now this was a time of excitement. She was betrothed to Joseph. They were betrothed. That's an old English word. What it means is they were in the process of the Jewish engagement. Now, now engagement in, in, the, in, the, in that day and age and in the land of Israel, engagement was a little bit different than what engagement is now. I mean, engagement now means you got a ring. <laughs> you know, and everyone's rejoicing you got a ring. But if things don't work out between the engagement and the wedding, then, you know, then, you, well, do I give the ring back? Who gets the ring? That's the big question, right? It was not that way in, in the, you know, it was not that way in Jesus' day. You see, they were betrothed. They were in the process of engagement. But the only way a betrothal or an engagement could be broken was by a divorce, a decree of divorce. They had to go through a, it was a legal thing. You know, it's not really a, much of a legal thing, engagement isn't. I've known some people have been engaged four times. <laughs> They've never been divorced because they never made it all the way to the altar. So this was a time of excitement. I mean, they are committed to each other. Expectation. The Bible tells us these things took place before they came together. So they were expecting finally getting to come together as a husband and a wife and start that family. It was also a time of embarrassment, though. I mean, during this betrothal period, you know, the bride and the groom, were they were engaged to each other. They were expected to to be morally pure. They were expected to enter into that marriage as virgins, both of them. And they were so embarrassed. You know they were. I mean, this would have been a, a great source of embarrassment, both to Mary and Joseph, as well as their families. Their families would be disgraced in the, in the, in the town shattered by this devastating news. Isn't that just how life is sometimes? We make all the plans. You know Joseph and Mary, you know they talked about their wedding day. You know they talked about their life together. They talked about how many kids are we going to have. And 
what's our life going to be like when we establish our own home? You know they had those conversations. And then an event takes place, and the hopes, the plans, the dreams, they all fall apart. It was unexpected. It was unwanted. However, like Joseph, we're often blind to the fact that God is at work behind the scenes. We forget that sometimes God is there doing something very special in our lives, but we don't even see it. And now Joseph has a decision to make. His dreams of a perfect marriage, the perfect family, they're all gone. His dream has turned into a nightmare. His fiance pregnant with another man's child. Let that sink in for a moment. Get inside his head. It couldn't be much worse than this. But we learn a lot about the man in the way he handled it. You see, verse 19 says, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. He was a just man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And he had to break the engagement. It was, this was not just a matter of we're not going to see each other anymore and, you know, give me the ring back or something. No, no, it, no, no, no. He had to write out a decree of divorcement. It had to go to the city fathers. It had to go to basically the courts. But he had a choice. He could drag Mary into that court and he could have said, she's pregnant with another man's son or daughter. I want a divorce. That could, could have possibly led to her being stoned. And I don't mean on drugs. That was a capital offense. Stoned me in the Bible means something different than it does now, all right? It means stoned, put to death. They put you down in a pit and they start throwing stones on you, and then finally someone comes along with this huge, huge stone. Usually two or three people are trying to carry it, and they drop it on your head, and you're dead. That could have happened to Mary. Joseph decides, I'm going to put this away quietly in hopes that does not happen. But he had that decision to make. We get a revelation of who Joseph really was. We, we see his character coming through. In the midst of this most difficult situation, Joseph's true self is revealed because we're told he's a just man, he's a good man. It means that he, he was blameless under the law. He, he tried to do the best he could. He tried to follow God. And yet these events still befell him. The times when life goes wrong, from your perspective is the time when your true self comes out. Oh, it's easy to be godly and praise the Lord and sing your praises when you got money in your pocket and all the bills are paid. That's easy. When you got a job to go to and, and things are going all right, that's easy to come to church and praise the Lord. It is another story, though, when you are on your last dime and you've lost your job. It is another story to be able to praise God then. It's another story to be able to, to, to come into the house of God and say, all is well because I know that God is in control. That's another story then. The choices. It all boils down to, to the bottom line. Joseph has, has he, he's got three choices. He can publicly humiliate Mary. 
because of what he perceives to be her immorality, obviously. This choice could, as we explained, could lead to her death under the law. He can divorce her quietly, try to keep things under wraps a little bit, the best you can. I mean, how much can you keep something like this under wraps in a small town? It's called gossip. But he can do the best he possibly can. Send her back home to her, to her parents, her family. Let her family take care of this problem. It's not going to be his anymore. Or he can marry her and he can raise the child as if it were his own. This last option would be absolutely unheard of in the Jewish world of the first century. Absolutely unheard of. No Jewish man would ever have even thought of that as an option. That was not an option. To Joseph, none of these choices seemed appealing, but he had to choose one of them. Can you imagine what's going on in his, you know, I, I know that the scripture presents this all in one little scripture verse, you know, that, 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 that you know, that all this happened, and, and, and so, you know, so he decided, you know, he decided to, to put her away quietly and just put this matter around. It, it, it sounds, it sounds almost like, like, it, it sounds almost too calculated, you know, like, well, let me see. I think I've got a couple options here. Let's, let's, let's think about this. You know that's not what happened. He did not sit there and say, well, let me think. Let's weigh the pros and the cons of each choice here. He didn't do it. No. You know what was going on. How could she do this to me? Who does she think she is? I thought she loved me. I loved her. I gave her everything. And this is how she repays me. Why, God, is this happening to me? Everything was perfect. Who is this man? Wait till I get my hands on him. You know that's what he was thinking. Now, how he was able to fall asleep, who knows? But somehow he was able, with all this going on, and you know that's what's going on in his head, head, somehow he was able to fall asleep. Joseph's decision was to react to Mary in somewhat compassion. He's going to put her away quietly, and then he'll be done with it. And she can go back to her family. He still cares about her. He loves her. I mean, the moment before, think about it, the moment before she broke the news to him, all his dreams were intact. Everything was going to be great. And then literally in an instant, life falls apart. Has that ever happened to you? Do you realize life can literally take a turn for the worse in an instant? It can be a, a car wreck. It can be a fire. It can be a natural disaster. It can be a crime. It can be a doctor saying, we got the test back. Literally in an instant, your life can change. 
But Joseph decided to do the most compassionate thing he could think of to do in this situation. We read on, as he, Joseph, considered this, the angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you, Joseph, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet who wrote, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I find it interesting that here that the Lord did not send Joseph the answer for direction that he was looking for until after he had reached his decision on his own. Sometimes the Lord will let us expend all of our rational energies, human reasoning, before he comes and gives us that divine insight. Sometimes the Lord will say, let's see how you're going to solve this. And then he gives us the answer. And as those thoughts just troubled the mind of Joseph, then the Lord sends this angel to speak to him in a dream. And he came to understand the origin of the child that his bride was carrying. He was made to understand that, that this dream of his that had turned into a nightmare in his heart and mind was really, it was a miraculous work of God. Every Jewish young girl, before they are married, every morning they wake with a particular prayer on their lips. If they are a holy, devout Jewish woman, young lady, they pray this every single day. It goes basically like this. Lord, may I have the honor of being the mother of the Messiah. Mary would have prayed that prayer ever since she was a little girl every morning. M Lord, may I have the privilege and the honor of being the mother of the Messiah. Because they knew Messiah was coming. And they knew someone was going to be his mother. And Mary was the one person chosen. Because only one could be it. And it, was ha it happened to her. She becomes the mother of the Messiah. These thoughts, they, they troubled his mind. But then he finds out who this child really is. It's not another man's child. Mary has not been unfaithful to him. He is going to become the stepdad to the Messiah. It begins to sink in. His vantage point has changed. He's looking at it differently now. You, you, you know, our vantage point often works against us in this life. 
I remember I was, when I was a young child growing up, I grew up in, in a city, in the suburbs of a city. It's a small city, about 50,000 people. They would have one or two parades a year in the downtown section. And I remember every year, it was like Thanksgiving, coming up on Christmas. I don't know whether they call it the Thanksgiving parade or Christmas parade, but anyway, anyway at the end of the parade, Santa comes, you know, right? And so, so that's how I know it was around Thanksgiving or so. My, my, my father and mother would load us three boys up, and we would head for downtown. We didn't go downtown at nighttime very often. I think the only time we ever went downtown at nighttime was, was for the parade once a year. And so it was, it was, it was, it was kind of magical to see the, the, all the lights and everything. We didn't, we didn't see that. We didn't get those out in the suburbs quite like that. So we go into this town. You know, and there we're standing, we're watching the parade. Now, I was the youngest. My, my two brothers, one was six years older, one was eight years older. I was the mistake. Yeah. My parents even told me that growing up. They, they were not psychologists. They did not understand that was not the thing to say. They, they didn't mean any harm by it, but trust me, it, yeah, it, it didn't go well with me. So here, so here I am, you know, and I'm watching, and I hear my older brothers, you know, they're standing there, and they're and they're looking down, and they're looking down uh, towards what's coming in the parade, and they're talking, oh, look, here comes such and such, you know, look at that float down there, you know, I can't see it because I'm like, you know, they're up here and I'm down here, you know, I can't see it, all I can see is what's right in front of me, you know? and then my other brother, he's still talking about what what just went by, you know, he says, yeah, I like, like that, you know, it's like I can't see that, that's. No, I can see what's right in front of me. That's it. That's my vantage point. The only way that changes is if dad, who was six foot one, if he puts me up on his shoulders, then I'm, a, then I'm above my other brothers. You know? And now I've got a good vantage point. I can see everything, and I'm telling them what's coming. That's the way it is in life. Our life, it, it's, it's, like, it's like we're standing in between two very tall buildings. That's our vantage point. We can't see what just went by. We can't see history. And we sure can't see what's coming. All we can see is what's right there in front of us. Oh, we have a faint memory of what we just went by, but, you know, the longer, the longer after it's gone by, we forget it. We can just really see what's right here. But God is like standing on top of the tall buildings. He can see the parade from the beginning. He can see the middle, and he can see the end. He sees everything. That's the difference. The way we look at life is like, like watching a parade go by while, while standing between those two buildings. We don't have much of a vantage point. That's why we need to listen and tune into God who is up way above even the tallest building. And he sees it all. Look at Joseph's reaction as soon as he understands that Mary has not been unfaithful. His dreams are still not what they were but perhaps they aren't going to be as bad as he thought. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Three things to remember about God's plans and dreams. Let me tell you. 
Three things, something about God's plan for your life. Three things. Number one, God's plan for your life is always bigger than your plan. When you see life from his perspective, you'll see what he wants you to do, and it is so much more. Mary and Joseph had in their minds, we're going to raise a family. It's going to be a good family. We'll have some boys. We'll have some girls. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to raise a family and going to be happy, and that's going to be our lives. And that's okay. And then God's plan. You're going to raise God. You are going to raise the Messiah. You are going to be entrusted with bringing up the Savior of this world. You are going to be remembered and talked about thousands of years from now. That's bigger. That is much, much bigger. God's plan for your life is always bigger than your plan. Secondly, God's plan for your life is harder than your plan. Now, we might get excited about the bigger. But trust me, God's plan for your life, it's harder than your plan. That's why so many people want to cut out on him. Human beings, human nature, it's, it's our way to take the easy way out. We just slide through life. We take the course of least resistance. God says, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be harder. Why? Because God is not, God, God is, is more interested in your character than your comfort. We're very concerned about our comfort. And God says, that doesn't really concern me as much as your character. And character is forged under difficult circumstances. Character is forged when you hang in there and you persist and you want so desperately to give up. But you don't. That's where character comes in at. God's plan is harder. It's harder than what our plans are. Why? Because he stretches you. Mary and Joseph, you want to raise a family? Great. How about if one of your kids is the Messiah? No pressure there, huh? (laughs) I think we better get this one right. (laughs) God's plan is harder. God's plan is bigger. The last one is God's plan is always more rewarding than your plans. It's more rewarding. When you cooperate with with God's plan and God's purpose for your life, when you have God's dream going on, two benefits, significance and satisfaction. That's what you're going to feel. That's what you're going to experience. Significance. My life matters because I'm reaching out and I'm doing the things God wants me to do. That's significant. And satisfaction. You will have a satisfaction of knowing you're in the center of God's will. Nothing can replace those. You know, we try to replace it, you know, with sex and status 
and, and success. Nothing replaces significance and satisfaction. That we mean something. That our life means something. That we're here for a reason, for, for a purpose. That's it. it. It's what we are made for. It's why God lets us continue breathing air and taking up space and using up resources so we can be significant and do something significant for him. And when we do, we will be so satisfied within ourselves. We won't be searching for all these other things. We'll be satisfied that we are in the center of God's will. How do you know that you're not living God's plan for your life? Very simple. Fatigue frustration and fear when you've got fatigue frustration and fear i guarantee you there's some peace in your life that's just not in line with god because he is a god that satisfies us he is a god that gives us that significance god's plan for your life it's bigger it's bigger than your plans it's harder than your plans but it is so much more rewarding than your own plan. Is God messing up your plans? Shattering your dreams? I hope so. I do. Because just as he entered into the world through Joseph and Mary's shattered dreams, he wants to enter your world. He wants to give you bigger and better plans and dreams so that you and your life will actually mean something to the kingdom of God. How does that start? It starts with that commitment. 